if I put down that I'm an eight every single week, well, number one, that's BS. No one's an eight every yeah. single week. But yeah. if I have the trust to be able to say, I'm a four or a yeah. two this week, and here's why. Yeah. Uh, number one, that comes from the top down. So I'm just really open Absolutely. about saying I'm super stressed out because if we don't pull this off, if we don't launch this feature in the next month, we're really behind in terms of our product yep. rollout plan. That gives other people permission inside of the organization to feel yes. that sense of openness. And if you don't do that, then you're going to just have random terminations. That was yeah. the other interesting statistic that I found in studying these asynchronous organizations. The average EMPS was a 70 mm. for those organizations. And the, the standard across all industries is 36. Wow. So That's far amazing. outweighed everyone else's. When you kind of boil that down to dollars and cents, your retention is probably 50% higher in those sure. organizations. For sure. And the biggest cost to any company is people quitting. Hey everybody, welcome to Leading From Afar, a podcast by remote leaders for remote leaders, aimed at sharing knowledge and experience to help make remote awesome within your companies. I'm Scott Markovitz. I was the first hire at Envision and helped build the foundations of the company for marketing, sales, product, operations, and pretty much everything in between. I've also mentored and consulted with hundreds of early stage startups, including a bunch of remote ones. Each episode, we'll speak about hot topics, trends, and the future of remote work. We'll also interview some super smart leaders at all levels of remote teams and introduce you to new tools that can help you succeed as a remote leader. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Leading From Far. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, I'm your host, Scott Markovitz. This is episode number two of a series on how individual leaders working for companies that are not yet implementing the best practices of the future of work can do so themselves and within their specific teams. Last week, we focused on team engagement and relationship building. And today we're gonna to focus on how leaders can implement async communication and async leadership within their specific teams. Today, I'm joined by Liam Martin, who is a fellow remote OG He's a co-founder at Time Doctor, one of the first all-remote companies, and he's also leading Running Remote, which is the conference about remote work and the future of work. So this episode is really a deep dive into Liam's forthcoming book about async leadership and how every single leader within a company can implement async leadership and communication, even when the rest of the company is spending all their time on Zoom. Hey, Liam, how's it going today? Pretty good. It is uh, a warm one here in Montreal, Canada, but so far so good. And I am so excited to be able to talk on a podcast where I don't have to explain every single term about remote work for, you know, the next two hours. I hope that we can kind of get into this and go super deep on a lot of the subjects that have been kind of just uh, almost at the, they there are these, these large macroeconomic methodologies that I think are just about to turn into macroeconomic methodologies. And I'm very excited about seeing how we can break that down in this podcast, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we dive into the topic uh, of the mm -hmm. day, again, I like to try to start up some episodes off with a non-topical question, kind of get the conversation started. So been thinking recently of you know, the various news that's going on about the 
economy, the recession, what everything looks like, what direction, what we're going to go through will have on remote. On one mm -hmm. side, do we see it as like those companies who have the desire to get back to the office? Like, is this going to be their opportunity to say, Hey, like most companies aren't hiring, we're hiring, you want a job, you're coming back in the office. Like, are we going to start kind of turning around going the wrong way? Or is it going to be like the total opposite where companies are going to be like, we're very focused on spending. We're very focused on expenses. Hey, let's cut out our office. Let's forget about all these office hybrid type things. Let's maximize the cost savings, maybe going in the incorrect direction of let's start hiring South, like South America, Eastern Europe, where we can pay somebody maybe potentially half or a third of what we're going to pay for somebody in the US. What, what direction do you think we're, we're going to be going in in the next year, two years, things like that? So this is the softball question that we're starting this out is, with. This is going to be fun. No, this is, this is really good. So really interesting. Cause I think about that all the time too. And I think there's a couple, so there's a couple forces that are currently happening as we speak a couple weeks ago, the leaked emails with Elon saying, stop pretending to work, go back to the office yep. is, or get fired. I think was actually a turning point for where we started to lose the PR war on back to the office versus working remotely. So I think yeah. we're now actually on the back step, to be completely honest with you, as opposed to that being the cool innovative option. And it's almost entirely focused on the employee and then the employer uh, wants people to go back to the office. Yeah. So the current economic conditions, and I'm always kind of keeping my ear to the pavement on hiring. As of right now, I have not really seen those, those income requirements change. Mm -hmm. So we hire probably about 10 people a month on average, which is a pretty yeah. good representative sample to be able to see where the market is going. Sure. And we haven't really seen a change of people saying, oh, I'll, you know, please give me a job basically. Yep. Because I think a lot of the people that we hire are more people that have four or five options available to them. Sure. But those options have probably gone from four or five to two to three, mm. which is interesting. Yep. And I think that inside of that top tier of talent, so um, like, let's just actually focus on engineers because it's a really good, metric um, yep. to measure for, I think that you're probably going to lose 50% of those engineers could probably be forced back to an office. Mm. And I think the other 50% of those engineers will say, no, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns here. I want to be able to work remotely. I know that I'm the best in the world. And there are eight other, you know, employers that want to be able to hire me because there's just yeah. such a huge demand. So that won't stop on that end, but your average customer support agent will unfortunately probably be forced back to the office mm. against their will. And again, yeah. that's the most popular job in the world, uh, customer support agent, right? So it's a very interesting kind of, I think that's actually the most important job category to follow to understand where remote work is going, because that is someone that can do that job from their from home, from a computer, yeah. wherever they want all over the world. And I think the other side of this too, is you might very well see a further flattening of the global market where they're saying, well, listen, we figured out this remote work thing. We yeah. couldn't hire customer support agents in Moldova 
yeah. uh, before, but we can now because we understand how to actually manage people remotely. So sure. you're probably going to see a big expansion in those markets. Maybe not a big expansion, but I would probably put it as 50% of those people will be forced back to the office against their will. Mm. And inside of the people that are being forced back to the office, I think that there will be a lot more quote unquote outsourcing, even though I don't necessarily like to use that term mm. because I think actually like someone from Kiev, as an example, is just as smart as someone from San Francisco. They just live in For Kiev. Sure. So I, I, don't, I don't necessarily like that term outsourcing, but I think you're going to see probably a, a minority of those people pop up, which is probably going to be good for those countries yeah. overall. And the distribution of labor and money throughout the entire planet, I think is, yeah. is never bad for everybody. So that's, that's kind of my perspective. Where do you think it's going to go? I think it's a good question. I, I, I'm probably siding on your side as well. I don't think companies are going to be able to force people back in the office. Again, I think Pandora's box is opened and I think people will hold out for as long as they possibly can. And there will be those companies I mean, how does a company, even maybe like a Facebook or an, that's kind of resisted for a long time and finally gone in, okay, they're going in, they're doing all these things to kind of support remote work. How do they possibly pull back? And I think like, especially if a company like that was probably working on a 10 year plan, like understanding, right. okay, the recession's only going to last for a certain amount of time. Once the recession turns over, people are going to go right back to wanting to work remotely. So sure. Are we going to be able to keep them in the office? You no, know, it seems today here in Israel or yesterday, there were 10,000 confirmed cases of COVID. So again, this seems like this is not going away for a while. You no, know, we were kind right. of quiet since the beginning of the year, but again, it seems to be ticking up. So this seems like it's going to be a cyclical thing. That's not going in, you know, that's not going away for a while. So yes, it may not have the same impact as the first couple of waves do, but with that, with all these pieces, again, I, I don't think people are getting forced back to the office. I definitely believe, and I've been saying for, for two plus years that where we're getting in the grand scheme is kind of leveling the playing field where we'll get to that point where it's a front-end developer with eight years of experience and in this full, this stack or whatever it is, we're going to pay them for the value that they bring into the company. So let's just call it you know, $80,000. And that mm -hmm. person lives in Moldova, in San Francisco, what have you. I think in the short term, what it's going to mean is you're probably not going to be able to attract those people in San Francisco because the cost of living there is obviously still, still too high. But I think over the long run, the costs are going to have to come down in San Francisco as the costs kind of move up in Moldova or where have you. And then you're going to kind of get to that leveling playing field. So I, mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I think that whether it happens in a year or two, but I think definitely long term, we're going to flatten the curve. We're going to get to that point where a developer or a customer support person with this amount of experience is going to get paid this regardless of where they sit in the world. And I think that's a great yeah. thing. And that's an inevitability to me. And sure. whether that happens in five years or 15 years, it will happen yeah. probably within those two estimates. And that's yeah. a really exciting time in history because yeah. you'll be able to say, well, it doesn't matter whether I'm in San Francisco, geography yeah. will no longer be an important factor. And I would yeah. probably say in the next six months, just to think strategically for us, sure. we're actually going to try to increase our hiring yeah. because we know that that talent pool has, you know, they, they want to go get those jobs or yeah. there's going yeah. to be a yeah. lot more demand for jobs yeah. in the short term. So we're recognizing as well, if you want to think very tactically about it, lock someone in at 80 yeah. and, you know, a year ago, maybe I'd have to pay them 120. 
but now yeah. I can pay them 80 and that, and then obviously add in your five, 10% raise sure. every year on top of that. So that's a huge advantage for us where we can say, yeah, we'll save a couple million dollars very, very easily that we can put directly into other sources. So yep. I, I think it's, and I think a lot of other people are thinking that way as well. I think that there's going to be a very serious winter in terms of remote work. Mm -hmm. There's a company that remote first capital is uh, I'm a LP in remote first capital, which is the yep. fund that Andreas has built yep. from, from uh, a bunch of different sources, <laughs> but just sold their, just had their very first acquisition and incredibly exciting to be able to see where they're going. It was a team nice. of 10 people, all remote. And yeah. I think you can just look it up on Crunchbase, pry.co. I ended up uh, getting acquired and it was a really good acquisition for everybody involved. But I think that a lot of the other companies have recognized now, probably we're out of time today, but you needed to get your round done basically a month ago. Yeah. If you were going to, to survive this winter and now expect 18 months of not raising money sure. and remote first companies, I mean, <laughs> you probably were getting a lot of this. You could write down remote on a napkin and hand yeah. it to a VC in yeah. June of 2020 and get $20 million. It yes. was absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it blew my mind because the six months previous to that, they would say, oh, don't you have a cute little lifestyle business? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And then just automatically remote was adopted. So I think we're going to have to correct for that just exponential yeah. explosion of yeah. capitalization. And within the next 18 months, at least for me, I'm interested in the long haul. So I really want right. to do more investments in some other remote tech stack companies during this 18 month period where I'm cash, you know, cash heavy. I have cash yep. to spend. I have dry powder uh, yep. because I think that after we come out of this, we're going to see remote work really succeed and succeed in a way that is voluntary and not necessarily yep. at gunpoint. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, add one point in before we actually get back, get onto topic today. I remember, as you said, in early 2020, I, I mentored however many remote first startups. And I remember saying to them, they're all like VC backed. I'm like, you could probably count on two hands how many remote companies had more than 250 employees. So they're building mm -hmm. tools for remote companies. So if you're a SaaS business that's VC backed, you have to get in enterprise sales, blah, blah, blah. This, this is how many customer, potential customers you have. Right. You're never going yeah. to make it. And what I always tell them, I said, the best thing you could do is replace the word remote with distributed. Because now if you're distributed, well, now you can sell to Coca-Cola and IBM who have offices all over the world. And you're just trying to connect those people versus, okay, we're remote first. But then when the pandemic hit, it's like, okay, now switch back, throw the word remote on there and, and you're running. But to, to get into the topic, so last episode, and I hope the next couple episodes, my desire for the focus of the episodes, again, each grouping uh, of episodes has a specific topic. So I really wanted to come from the perspective of, I believe there's three types of remote companies. You have your OG companies, your automatics, your envisions, GitLab's buffers. We've been doing this a long time. They've mm -hmm. been doing it the right way and kudos to them. They're going to continue doing it the right way. You have group number two went remote during the pandemic who went all in saying, yes, this is the future. We want to do this. We're going to do everything the right way. We're going to do async and four day work weeks and, and great. And you kind of fall out of the third category, which for me is probably the, the, the largest 
that went remote because they had to, or they thought maybe it's the future, but they haven't yet embraced the best that remote and the future of work has to offer. They haven't yet embra embraced async. They haven't embraced the four day work week. They haven't em embraced team engagement and fun and all those different pieces. So I wanted to focus on this group and leaders who are leading a specific team, one team, two teams, who are kind of very focused. Yes, I, I love remote. I, I love the future of work. I wanna do this the best way. How, as I, as a leader with my own team, can I implement the best practices of the future of work, even though the company around me may not? And I think probably an anchor point around that is async. I've been having a lot of conversations with my team internally is we're kind of a tool to help support async. It lines, I think, very well into a book that, that you've been uh, you know, working on around how do you do async? How, how do you right. launch? What's step one, step two, step three? So we'd really love to kind of dive into that topic of your leader at this company, your company's not embracing async. They're still kind of doing meetings. Maybe we'll start here. Like, what, what's, how do you do it? How do you start? Where do you start? Do you go all in? Do you kind of use tools to kind of go in, in piecemeal? Okay, we're going to do somewhat sync and kind of mix of sync and async or like start, start at yeah. square number one. So first off, before we even kind of get into that, I think that asynchronous management is actually a much scare, much less scary term yeah. than remote work or work from home for a lot of companies. So if you're if your employer is resistant about people going back to the office, I think number one, it's because they actually didn't understand the methodology in order to actually bring people out of the office, which is at least for me, and I think you share this same sentiment as well, is asynchronous management because we all kind of figured it out before the pandemic. I mean, there were companies that, I remember we did a, a panel at uh, the very first running remote conference, not very first, the second, running remote conference, which was a panel on asynchronous management and work. Yep. And that was the first time that really anyone in the community, we polled the audience, how many people, and these are people that like flew all over planet earth to yep. be able to come to this place and learn about asynchronous management. And about 50% of people didn't know what the term was. And those sure. were theoretically the experts that are, that are yep. in the room. So it's a relatively new methodology, but I think it's almost kind of come up as a like, Buffer's doing this and WordPress is doing that and mm. GitLab is doing this. Yeah. And it, there wasn't necessarily a crystallization of that term until the last couple sure. of years, which is incredibly exciting and a big advantage to you as a employee inside of an organization, because then you can say, well, no, it's not remote work. Yeah. It's asynchronous management, which is only going to increase the productivity of everyone that's in the organization. And more importantly, yeah. asynchronous management can de be deployed inside of an office or outside of an office. It doesn't yeah. necessarily matter. It's it's effectively agnostic sure. towards that process. So it's a really great thing to sit people down with and say, forget about remote work. Let's talk about asynchronous management, which is kind of like a um, Trojan horse to be mm. able to work yourself in to say, well, now we actually have the methodology that it doesn't really matter whether where I'm sitting. Yeah. Uh, if I'm sitting in this office or if I'm sitting in a coffee shop, I can still actually be just as productive. Yeah. But in terms of like tactics, I would say, well, there's, there's three fundamental overlapping kind of just basically processes that we really look at is deliberate communication, democratized workflows and detailed metrics. So first one deliberate over communication inside of Asynchronous organizations, 
you have very precise ways of communicating with other people. Whereas yeah. in an office environment that's synchronous, your communication is not documented, number one, yeah. but also is quite messy. So I might kind of sit with you at lunch and come up with an idea about how to do a new feature for a particular product, yeah. which is really interesting collaborative communication, but the documentation of that communication isn't available anywhere. So sure. you can't actually go back and actually take a look at that information and say, oh, well, this feature actually came out of this lunch meeting that Scott and Liam had, and it's two years later, and this feature is a complete you know, disaster. Yeah. Where did it actually come from? So with synchronous, with asynchronous communication, you can actually have that documentation in place. But then also the way that we communicate is very specific, meaning mostly everything is through text, some is through video, but fundamentally it is information that can be recorded and consumed when it's most advantageous to everyone inside of the organization to consume it. Yeah. And so that is a really powerful first tenant. The second one is democratized workflows, which is process documentation. Most people probably have at least some version of that. If you're sure. just starting, what I would suggest that people do is, uh, and I have actually all of these templates at the runningremote.com slash book URL. Awesome is a how to do my job. So yep. we have about 40 different templates, like how to do my job as the chief design officer, how to do my job as the CTO. And it, they're internal ones that we've collected yep. or written ourselves. And it's a five page document. You can link out to other sources, but you need to keep it under five pages. So it's very concise. And what I challenge people to do is spend an afternoon in your organization to write that singular document and that's it. And then take mm -hmm. that singular document give it to someone that's not inside of your department. So if yeah. you're in marketing, send it to engineering as an example mm -hmm. and ask them, do you understand how my job works, right? Do you understand yeah. what I do in this job? And could you theoretically do it from mm. a layman's perspective? Yeah. And the vast majority of the time, about 80% of the time, the answer is no. And so then you ask, well, what else do I need to do to be more perfect in my process? Yeah. And you go iteratively to the point in which effectively someone that doesn't know what you is not an expert at your particular field can at least understand how to actually do what you yeah. do in your job. And this creates an environment where if all of a sudden I get hit by a bus or if I want to take the next year and a half off to write a book yeah. <laughs> about, <laughs> about asynchronous work, you can do that because yep. I can then take that document, delegate that to the people that directly report to me and they can take on those types of responsibilities. And the third one is detailed metrics. So the vast majority of management, and this is a thing that I think is really interesting when I was doing research for the book and interviewing all of these asynchronous organizations, I discovered that their managerial layer is on average 50% thinner than mm. their on-premise counterparts. So there are 50% yeah. less managers in asynchronous organizations than there are in synchronous organizations. That means there are more people working on difficult problems than yeah. there are people managing people working on difficult problems, which provides you a massive tactical advantage in the marketplace sure. because the more time people spend solving hard problems, um, the faster you're going to innovate as an organization. And the reason why those managers are no longer needed inside of that work structure 
is because the metrics are automated. Yeah. So all of the metrics are effectively quantifiable, longitudinal, and you say, how many leads am I getting to the website? You know, how many lines of, it's a bad metric, but how many lines of code am I writing? What's my, what's my net promoter score as a customer support agent? Whatever metrics you need to identify, and it's really critical, and we talk in the book about how to actually choose proper metrics, yeah. because that's a critical part of this entire formula. But once you have those things in place, then you automate them. So you create an environment in which everyone has access to those metrics. We personally are calling this radical transparency inside mm. of the organization. So everyone has access to everyone else's metrics. So everyone knows what I'm doing, what you yeah. know uh, the CTO is doing, what the frontline engineer is doing. And then we, from that point, have a very clear understanding of the entire business in a snapshot. And the vast majority of, of management is really just playing this game of telephone saying, yeah. oh, well, this is what Herman did. And then, you know, they send that to their manager and their manager's manager. And then finally the boss inside of asynchronous organizations, that's all automated and, and very easy to be able to consume. So communicating effectively, building processes so that you actually have redundancy inside of the system. So at any point, people are no longer owning a position, but they inhabit the position. And I've heard that multiple times instead of yep. asynchronous organizations. So I am not the CMO of the company. I currently inhabit the position of CMO mm -hmm. of the company. And yeah. at any point I could leave that position and I need to be prepared at any moment to be able to leave that organization. And if I don't have that capability, then that's a real big black hole inside the organization and then detailed metrics. So automating all those metrics and making everything as radically transparent as humanly possible. So everyone has the same informational advantage as the CEO. That's awesome. Before I get to the that was maybe a little too long actually, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. uh, like, this is something that again, too, the other thing that's really interesting is this is evolving constantly, yes. Yes, right? Yes, yes, like yes, yes. how big is the asynchronous community? I probably would say when I first started researching the book, yeah. Companies that are above 50 employees, maybe under a thousand, uh, yeah. I would probably say, and probably we're around that same range right now where yeah. maybe we've cracked a thousand. So it's a yeah. very, very small community of companies, but those companies are doing extraordinarily amazing yes. things and growing yeah. at rates that are, that completely outstrip any yeah. synchronous organizations. The uh, head of remote from, from GitLab, Darren Murph, Darren, yeah. he said, this is really more of a Model T versus horse and buggy moment. So yeah. the biggest population of horses on planet Earth was in 1915 during the First World War, which also mm. just happened to be the year that the first Model T rolled off the production line. Yeah. In 1915, the vast majority of people were still running around with yeah. horses, yeah. but within five years, everything shifted right and so it's and because we just had a better methodology to be able to yep. get people around and i think this is a better methodology to be able to build businesses <laughs> so many questions here all right let me focus on an easy one first you think there's going to be a moment that's that trigger from synchronous to asynchronous for a long time every company knew the metrics the data around remote work remote work works people are happier you can build thousand plus people, companies, you could raise hundreds of millions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knew it. 
but very few companies did it. Then it took the pandemic to kind of give it that push for everyone to say, okay, yeah, th this is as good sure. or even better than we expected. I think we certainly know the same thing with async, right? The companies have been doing it. They've been doing it well. The data is there. It's proven. It works fantastic. Is it going to be another jerk moment, like a push? Okay, something happens where now you're forced to now support async or are companies going to kind of come along and say, okay, you know, we had this feeling about remote work when we were synchronous when we were in the office based and okay, worked out pretty well. We see the same thing around asynchronous. We know we, in theory, that it's going to work out well. You know what? Let's embrace this. Let's embra embrace the best that the, the future work has to offer. What, 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 do you, what side do you, you, you fall on here? So I think, and I'll take a very tech bro example here. I think, and I'm, I've been working in the tech field long enough to recognize the transition from on-premise to cloud computing yeah. from a server perspective. So yeah. I remember when AWS was really out there and everyone sure. could just basically spin something up for very, yeah. very small amounts of money. And so I think that that's what we're currently seeing inside of remote, the young upstarts, the organizations that are very small are starting from remote from day one. Yeah. Not all of them have really even understood asynchronous management because it's sure. such a new me methodology that is really frustrating to me because that was actually one of the big issues that I had and motivations for writing the book, which was the first couple months of the pandemic, I was getting phone calls from people that were totally a, like out of my league, <laughs> right? <laughs> like governments um, yeah. that are like, we have 500,000 employees. We just moved them to remote. What do, what do we do? How do we do? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. 150 people is the <laughs> amount of people that I currently am in control of. So yeah. I have no idea. And, you know, they're literally saying, you're the first person that would pick up the phone to be yeah. able to help us. So we're at a really kind of crazy moment, but I think we're going to see those young upstarts increase at a massive pace. Yeah. Uh, there was a really great statistic out of YC pre-pandemic I think it was 50% of people wanted to start their company in San Francisco yeah. and post pandemic, the number one was remote at 48%. Yeah. So it was a complete shift recognizing that that was, that's basically like a AWS versus on-premise yeah. argument. So we're going to start to see that and proliferate. And I think we're just going to move up the org chart where even today there are still companies that are resistant towards cloud computing as an example, because sure. it isn't safe, because it's not secure. But I think as we've seen the proliferation of SaaS and, and, and cloud computing and all that kind of stuff, we're probably going to see the same adoption curve. Yeah, It'd probably be quite useful for me to actually look at that adoption curve and kind of just <laughs> connect my own mindset to that. Yeah. But that's how I would generally see it is your McKinsey's, your Deloitte's, your KPMG's, your very, very large corporations they will go remote in some context, yep. but the biggest barriers that I actually see for the vast majority of those companies outside of the management methodology, which they yep. haven't really figured out, which isn't that big of a problem actually sure. for these types of companies, because they're so large that they already have like process documentation built yep. way better than any other company. But the big issue will be security. And, and that's kind of the biggest current barrier that I see from a technology, technology stack perspective yeah. saying, how can I work legally and securely when I 
mm. manage tax returns for people yeah. as an example, which is, you know, it, like <laughs> if you, that means you have to be PCI compliant. You basically yeah. have to have bank level security for everything inside yeah. of your organization. And it's very, very difficult to do when you have a distributed set of computers all over the planet earth, but we figured yeah. out how to do it with cloud computing very efficiently. And I think yeah. we will figure out how to do it for anyone that's listening right now definitely get into remote work security. I think that that is probably the oh, yeah. next trillion dollar company to be able to be built. I, I like that idea. Yeah, it's definitely one of the hot areas. So I also believe, I think you've kind of touched on those points of larger companies have a lot of structure, kind of documentation of what a, a team meeting looks like, what a one-on-one -on -one looks like, what it consists of. But there's probably less of like the format so I, at least me, I'm a believer. It's going to be, again, those individual manor, managers are going to be like, hey, I can do the async, right? I have to ask these questions. I have to talk about these points, but there is no specific guidance on how they're being asked and what format and things like that. And I think it's, you're going to have those individual leaders and be like, okay, I can do this asynchronously. So with that in mind, what do, what do managers now do? They, they've, they've listened to this podcast. They want to do it. How do you take let's say a team meeting, how do you take a one-on-one -on -one that you've done synchronously? How do you take it asynchronously? Like what tools to use, what types of tools, like what format? Let, let's kind of break this down a little sure. bit. Sure. Yeah, yeah, if we want to get super specific. And again, it. so in me researching the book, everyone does this differently. And I sure. think there are no current best practices, but I can tell you what I do, which is <clears throat> for a lot of your big team meetings, we're currently doing actually our forced async week. So at one week a month, there are no meetings whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, the only meeting that you can have is what we call an emergency meeting, emergency tier meeting, which sure. is we're getting hacked, you know, something absolutely crazy yeah. like that, that yeah. absolutely has to be answered very, very quickly. And we might have one of those instances once a year. So we've never had to trigger that before sure. uh, during a remote week. But, and this is also, by the way, a really good way to start people off is yeah. I'd say, don't go remote. Like, don't just say, okay, I'm oh, sorry, async. Just async. Don't, don't say today we're going to go async and that's it. Yep. Say, let's do an async week. Yep. We poll people. We see, do you want more of that? Do you want less of that? What were your yep. problems? You know, and, and in every survey that I've currently overseen, they want more of it. They For love sure. asynchronous management because it's just <laughs> like, oh, I'm not getting yeah. bothered. I can actually get deep work get done. Get work done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in terms of large meetings, we run something which I've pulled from a couple other companies, which I'm calling silent meetings. So that means we write down issues that we want mm -hmm. to be able to discuss. We pull a lot of this from EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System. So identify what the problem is. Why is this? Identify the issue. Why is this a problem? And then provide a proposed solution. If we don't have those three components inside of an issue, then we don't then we don't discuss it. And we respond to those issues asynchronously. So we write out comments and yeah. I'll see a hundred comments on a particular issue sometimes of a team yeah. of eight. So there'll be a very, very excited exchange between those companies or sorry, between yeah. those individuals. And then when you've come to a conclusion, you take that conclusion and you put it to the top of the ticket. So you just pop it right back. We use Asana as an example, yep. but you can use any type of project management tool that you're, that is in the market right now. And then you clear the ticket. And if we have less than three issues before a meeting 
We don't mm -hmm. do the meeting synchronously. Now, the interesting thing that's popped yeah. up is the only issues that stay on the issue list yeah. have nothing to do with the nuts and bolts of the company. They're almost entirely EQ issues. Like interesting. Scott has got a problem with Liam and yeah. Liam doesn't think that it's, you know, that Scott has an issue with him and we sure. need to be able to resolve it. Or there's some type of soft mm. EQ issue inside of the organization. And yeah. that's actually where I suggest that managers apply almost all of their energy. Sure. So forget about what your metrics are. And if yeah. you truly are just saying, well, I'm not going to talk about the metrics. And first of all, kind of managers brains explode when they think, oh, well, I'm not supposed to like, I'm not responsible for measuring where they're currently at. It's not that you're not responsible. It's that spending time on working on how to make that individual more productive yeah. is a much better application of your time than monitoring whether sure. or not they're productive. Oh, for sure. So basically offset the, the measurement of whether or not someone is doing a good job. Cause I can figure that out in an instant, right? Yeah. You need yeah, to yeah, be yeah. able to build a framework in order to identify that in an instant. But then once you're saying, Hey, okay, we've got a really aggressive target this quarter. We've got to be able to ship this particular type of feature, identify everything that we need to be able to figure out, to be able to ship this particular type of feature, you know, basically earmark all of your resources and then boom, you're off to the races. And then as quickly as they come up, try to remove these barriers. And the vast majority of the time, those barriers are not, I don't have enough resources. It's uh, my dog died last week and my kids are having a real difficult time with this. Yeah. How can you as a manager possibly open up, possibly solve that problem? Is it, sure. you know, get a new dog? Is it <laughs> go to betterhelp.com and, and you know, get a psychologist in to be able yeah. to help your kids through this process. Anything that reduces that particular autonomous nodes anxiety, yeah. because they are human beings, sure, sure, sure. optimizes the organization in a huge way. And if you apply your time to that, as opposed to whether or not someone is doing a good job or a bad job, you automatically actually end up having people be a lot more successful inside of the organization. And yeah. the other thing too, that's quite interesting is everyone knows whether they're doing a good job or a bad job, yeah, right? Like you, you know, Hey, like, and we, we identify in terms of our goals, we say, okay, well, I want to get 2000 people to the next running remote conference as an yeah. example, chance of success, 30%, right. Yeah. Based off of all of these variables sure. and just clearly identifying that. And then also providing the managerial layer and the process, basically the the, the, the metrics layer, the yeah. clarity to be able to say, well, should we target a thousand people because that will have an 80% success rate versus 2000 mm. people at a 30% success rate. Mm. But if we build our, if we build our target for 2000 people, here are the pros and cons of that particular situation. So again, getting yeah. into the metrics is actually really critically important and having high level 40,000 foot discussions. Sure. is really important to be able to identify, well, maybe we actually want this person to go for 2000 and that person has a 70% chance of failure, but because they're targeting in 2000, you know, 2000 people coming to the conference as opposed yeah. to a thousand, we're probably going to end up with 1500 and we're, we're okay with taking that loss 
sure. having a net loss on that particular year to be yeah. able to say we can do 2000 the next year. So th those, I mean, again, I have like one and a half chapters on how to choose your metrics because it's so yeah. critical inside of asynchronous organizations to be able to set those things up. But those are the some type of the conversations that I think are really important to have because if you come back with everyone not hitting their goals, that's not useful. And, and it's just, it's important to be able to measure outcome up the, the projected outcomes versus what you think you can theoretically do and actually measuring the increase that asynchronous management will give you. Yeah. Because if you just set your targets 30% higher, once you move to an asynchronous organization, mm -hmm. then you're not going to necessarily see it because you'll see the same success rate for all of your targets. But that's not really a fair justification for, for your targets. You need to have basically the targets remain the same and then yeah. just reorganize through asynchronous management. No, I, I like that. I think I'm you know, very much in line of you know, how I run my, my team in one-on-ones. I do the work portion asynchronously. I think, as you've mentioned, going over metrics, talking about metrics, for me, doesn't need to be synchronous. You know, looking at data, they can look at the data themselves to walk through the data points, what they've what they've done this week, what they are, they can share with me, what they've done this week can be done asynchronously. I try to focus my synchronous time on how they're doing as a person, right? Relationship building. If I notice there's something off again, trying to dive into those conversations, like you to find out, okay, their dog died. Okay. Now what can I do to help, you know, improve that situation or fix that situation, you know, career development, personal development, how do I help them grow as an individual as for kind of things like that. So I, I love that point. You've mentioned metrics a few times before I go into my next question, let, let's dive in a little bit deeper. Um, sure. Share, share some of those metrics like that are a must that again, if someone's going to launch an asynchronous or shift to asynchronous management, what are like the metrics that somebody needs to be relying on? And, and again, I think that these are, that's really, by the way, a great question to ask, because I think it's, there's a lot of variation. I can actually tell you our top metrics as an organization, but it, it's probably going to be pretty boring for you to be completely honest. <laughs> so the first one is, uh, and I'm logging in right now into my actual dashboard. So the, uh, the first one is money, how much money we're making as an example, not an example is a very specific metric It's loading right now. And uh, so we have MRR from self-serve revenue. We have MRR from sales led revenue. We have expansion MRR. So how many more seats we have in this organization, we have churn and we have net monthly recurring revenue. So those are the core metrics that we have. And then underneath that we have departmental metrics. So marketing has unique web visitors, trial rates, trials, and then we have a link to the marketing document, which has probably about 40 metrics that are inside of those three core metrics. So what do I need to know as a person on a weekly basis that is the co-founder of this company? Yeah. I need to know unique website visitors, trial rates and trials. And then if there's a big red flag on one of those, then I can tunnel into the marketing metrics document and look at the 40 metrics there and figure out what changed if there's a difference in trials. Right. So I don't need to mm -hmm. know everything all the time, yeah. but I do need to identify the unique pieces of information cross departmentally for everyone to identify. Then I have like in growth, we have onboarding rate, onboarding trials, overall activation rate, 
total new customers, our, our, our ARPC, our expansion rate in sales. We've got sales qualified leads, revenue, inbound deals to SDRs, inbound deals to AEs, and all of these numbers. I don't want to kind of actually uh, product is a really good one. So the core metric that we have for product is uh, MPS. And that's probably very different from other companies, but we've just identified from a product perspective, the net promoter score is by far the overall North star for us as an organization, um, yeah. particularly because if customers don't like us, then they're going to turn more, right? Or they're not going to buy our product or, or whatever it might be. So identifying all of these metrics is really important. And it may not be MPS for you, as an example, from a product perspective. It may be activation rate, or it may be, you know, weekly active users, that type of a thing. That might be a really important metric. But you actually need to study the pros and cons of every single one sure. of those instances. Sure. Because weekly active users or monthly active users, you know, are you is your marketing department doing a really good job at getting more customers in the door. So your monthly active users are going up and to the right, but it's only because your marketing is investing so much more. What's the stickiness rate? Like what's the mm -hmm. adoption rate of yeah. those monthly active users is a really important metric to be able to take into consideration. So it's not just like a one size fits all, unfortunately, but I would say money, <laughs> probably the most important thing that you yeah. need to be able to. And, and also too, when I'm talking about radical transparency, we try as much as humanly possible to provide everyone in the organization, the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company. So that can be very scary to a lot of CEOs. Like how much money do we have in the bank? How much yeah. net profit do we, you know, do we take off the top? because that goes to the co-founders of the company, right? Sure. And maybe they'll say, well, I don't think that we should take 10% of the profits and it should be for the co-founders. I think we should reinvest that back inside of the business as an example, right? All of these things that can be open and honest discussions, we try to make as open as humanly possible. The only thing that we hold back on as an organization ourselves is HR related issues, but there are companies like Buffer, as an example, that open everything up. So they know what everyone else makes and they know exactly yep. how to allow you to be able to make more inside of your organization. Again, yep. there's like various definitions or not, there's various flavors of async and you can go very, very far as an organization. But it, but for me, I'm actually really big on people saying, and the goal of the book is can I get you like 10% more async? Yeah. Because that's going to be a huge win, I think, for everyone. For sure. Everyone's going to be a lot less stressed out, particularly as it comes to the managerial tier, because that's the part that I found the most interesting in my analysis was basically asynchronous organizations don't have as much management because they have self-autonomous individuals inside of those organizations that are just as intelligent, you know, as the managers that are managing them sure. and they can make those critical decisions without necessarily having a manager review those decisions for them. And I think that that's such an interesting insight that's backed up with quantitative data that I was able to discover. And I think anyone, you speak to anyone in any company and if they said, Hey, would you like less management? The answer, honestly, 90% of the time would be yes. 
Um, They're probably looking for more leadership, which is something that I talk about a lot in the book, which is I think that asynchronous organizations should evolve from management to leaders and leadership is how are you feeling? You know, how can I help you today? You know, effectively being almost a psychologist for your team as opposed to how are your metrics doing? And that is something that we're we're really on the cusp on because as we see this transition occur, back to your first original point with regards to remote work just going absolutely crazy right now and that pushback to the office, I think we're going to see a six to 12 month period of people going back to the office, becoming very frustrated with that process, particularly as it applies to hybrid because I think the phenomenon of distance bias is going to work its way into these these hybrid organizations where you're going to have your remote workers completely disenfranchised from that process and move somewhere else and recognizing that they need a better methodology. And to me, the answer to a successful hybrid organization is asynchronous management. Just, it is the, the perfect solution to those yeah. problems because then there are no no undocumented conversations inside of the organization so your remote team members can actually get access to that information and say well scott you you've really been kind of shitting on me <laughs> right <laughs> about you know the how i'm doing as a as a team member you know yeah. behind closed doors and maybe i am doing a bad job but let's just sit down and talk about it right like let's have a let's have a one-on-one where we can really kind of hash this out because it just all comes back to those eq issues that if you can address those as quickly as possible i have a i have a personal saying to life which is the secret to life is being comfortable having uncomfortable conversations and when you remove a lot of the boring conversations that can effectively be solved through software, you can yep. focus your energy on the conversations that really need to be had. Yeah, absolutely love that. So I, I wanna, still pushing off a question to have, I wanna again, point into this more. So I really like that idea of asynchronous leadership is really, how are you? How's everything going? How's your family? How's this, how's that and the other? So taking a step back, you the old school, mentality where you're in the office or looking at hybrid or forcing back in the office. I, as the leader, the manager, I can see you. Are you smiling? Are you happy? I can get a sense of, in theory, how are you doing in a remote environment where it may have been synchronous? Maybe you're doing like a daily standup every day, you're doing kind of synchronous team meetings where again, I can potentially see you through a video call. You now kind of shift towards that asynchronous by default leadership. How do you get to those moments? How do you create those moments? Because in theory, right, if you're going to do the work portion like I do, it's still kind of on a weekly basis at Monday at 3 p.m. or whatever day. So it's still that pre-scheduled, pre-kind of organized event. But now when you're talking about like, how are you? How are you doing? Like, is that also kind of, I want to call it robotic or okay, Tuesdays, like between this hour, I send everyone a message in Slack. Hey, how are you doing? Or again, what, 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 how is this going to evolve? Because it's probably going to be multiple iterations, but again, for someone who's now taking the asynchronous leadership opportunity, especially remotely, because again, maybe if they're going hybrid, they're back in the office again, they can kind of see, see them. Yep. What, what, what can leaders be doing there? So I think one of the biggest ways to be able to do it, it goes back to my, my discussion or my argument towards detailed metrics. So 
and, and I have seen this in multiple organizations. We do do it where we send out a, how are you feeling? How, how did you feel about week or uh, work last week? You know, were you stressed out? Yep, uh, yep. Did you have more anxiety than you had the previous week? Right? Like, how are you currently feeling? Yeah. And then I can come in as a manager and I can immediately identify, oh, I need to actually direct my sync time towards this particular individual as opposed to these other individuals that are just humming along and they're doing just yeah. fine, right? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, and I, I have this survey data, like everyone in the organization, right, does it, even though I don't have any direct reports, or sorry, I do not report to anyone. I was very, very stressed out <laughs> before the, uh, the running remote conference. Yeah. I had a significant amount of stress and yeah. I was probably, you know, out of 10, I was around like two to threes for the four to six weeks before the conference started. Yeah. And it was just a lot of, there was more work than people to be able to solve for those problems. And yeah. that was an issue actually, when I did a self audit and I discussed, I brought in the team to be able to discuss this. I said, wow, we really under, we did not understand the amount of work that was needed in those last two months in terms of preparation. Sure. And it, just, it actually boiled down to, we had, we tried to hire for an operations person and yeah. we failed twice. So mm. we hired, we hired someone and within two months they ended up leaving and they yeah. had to completely restart the process every time someone yeah. else was hired. And so that was actually the core issue. And that core issue probably cost us six figures versus mm. worth of losses, right? To be able to really kind of look back at that and figure out why is everyone super stressed? Sure. Let's actually like understand this so that we can use that information yeah. to be able to say, we should never pursue this unless we have an operations person yeah. 26 weeks out before the event starts. We need that operations person and we need to know that that person is solid or we need to be able to pull back on the breadth of the event. Yeah. So now we've built that actually into our strategic documents yeah. when we launch another event is yeah. we have mm -hmm. like a little checklist for everybody. Yeah. And that just came from us understanding our own internal, our own internal EMPS. Yeah. Right. Of just like, how are, how am I doing as an individual sure, sure, sure. and how can I help? And, and that information again is, is provided to the employee and then by permission is provided to the direct report. So the manager effectively, yeah. but that is really a tool to be able to help them. And a lot of the times Absolutely. there is, there's a major issue of trust that's involved in that. So if I put down that I'm an eight every single week, yeah. well, number one, that's BS. No one's an eight every yeah. single week. But yeah. then, you know, if I have the trust to be able to say, I'm a four or I'm a two yeah. this week, and here's why. Yeah. Uh, number one, that comes from the top down. So I'm 100%. just really open Absolutely. about saying I'm super stressed out yeah. because if, you know, we don't pull this off, if we don't launch this feature in the next month, we're really behind in terms of our product yeah. rollout plan, but that gives other people permission inside of the organization to feel yes. that sense of openness. And if you don't do that, then you're going to just have random terminations. That was yeah. the other interesting statistic that I found in studying these asynchronous organizations is the average 
EMPS was uh, 70 mm. for those organizations. And the, the standard across all industries is 36. Wow. So That's far amazing. outweighed everyone else's. I mean, when you kind of boil that down to dollars and cents, your retention is probably 50% higher in those sure. organizations. For sure. And the biggest cost to any company is people quitting. Yep. That is the biggest yep. singular cost to any organization is, okay, someone quit and now we've got to retrain someone new. But the other advantage inside of asynchronous organizations is if you've done it properly, they are not owning that position, they're inhabiting that position. So they'll be able to walk away from that position literally yep. within the day. I mean, it never really happens that perfectly, sure, but sure, sure. that's the goal. And then you can say, all right, well, here's a, here's Scott. Scott's going to be replacing Liam and yep. here are all the processes and, you know, Liam and Scott can have an onboarding week and then Scott's off to the races yep. theoretically. Uh, yep. But it's much, it's much easier inside of asynchronous organizations than synchronous ones. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think what you just said is absolute gold and I'm happy to hear it because this is how I run my teams and it's great to hear kind of the, the alignment that. Number one, it's leading from the front. I've said this across multitudes of these episodes where we have a daily standup and we're kind of asked like the regular questions, like what are you doing today? Blah, blah, blah. But one of the questions in there is how are you feeling today with like emojis? Mm -hmm. And when I'm, when I'm having a tough day, I put a sad face and I'll include like a note to know I didn't get sleep or this, like my kid was doing like this this morning or so on and so forth to as you said, create that environment of trust and transparency where people on the team feel, okay, we're, we, we can share and be honest. And I've emphasized that and emphasized, and I think the biggest piece around that is when you see something and I use that as, as, as a red flags, right? If somebody has a sad face, like that tells me immediately, Hey, I need to reach out to this person now and see why they have a sad face. The same thing if they have right. kind of like a neutral face for like three, four days in a row, it's a flag for me. Hey, reach out. And the biggest pieces out of it what comes out of it? Like if they share, Hey, I've been having trouble sleeping the last couple of nights. Okay, great. You know what? Take a half day, go rest. No problem. Again, especially if you're working a shrink, come back later or do this or kind of reprioritize and making, taking action so they can see the results that you're actually taking them seriously. They're not just giving you feedback and okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing and nothing really happens. So it's really taking on the action and giving something to them and kind of in return. And I, I'm happy to see within my team that it's gotten to the point where there's such, I want to call it a relationship or when somebody puts like a sad face, like even before I get a chance to reply, like two or two or other three people will throw a comment in there like, Hey, how's everything going? Let me know if you need anything and creating that environment where yes, if you have a, if you have a hard day, you had something like share it again, that's yep. the best thing you could do. And as a leader, I'm going to share from the front. So you know what I'm feeling. And if I have a great days, bad days, like you're always going to know it. And you do the same and have that trust and builds like that team. So I, I, I absolute gold, you know, we do it to come to similar, like a daily pulse survey with you no know, yep. daily check-ins with that thing. And again, it's something critical. Question it's also valuable by the way, to be able to instrument that. So yeah. if you can have that, and again, there's various definitions of kind of doing it, but sure. if you can pull that into your HR software oh, and sure. you can literally instrument against like oh, that person has been, has been over the last six months has been getting more sad faces as yeah. an example and degrading yeah. as an organization. I know I, I had an issue about 
three years ago that I shared with my team. And then we'll get back to your question, which was my father had had a pretty serious stroke mm. and I was his primary caregiver during that time. Yeah. And he refused to be able to get a nurse, but he was in between the point in which he really needed a nurse. And because I was there, I was kind of his quasi nurse, but that really shouldn't have been my job. And I yeah. should have actually applied, like I should have hired him a nurse against his wishes. And that was creating a lot of issues and tension for myself and anxiety for myself, because I knew that I was not able to apply the right amount of time inside of the organization that I needed to do in order to basically like provide, like give the company as much as I needed to. I was giving the organization less than what I took. Yeah. And there are lots of people that give more than what they take. Right. But at that point I was giving less than what I took. Yeah. And I recognized that. And I shared that with everyone inside of the organization. And the way that we actually came to a conclusion on that was I ended up hiring a, like a professional caregiver to be able to, to help him to get through that sure. critical part. But I hadn't, it was almost kind of like a come to Jesus moment where mm. when I came to everyone and yep. documented that yep. it felt a lot more real to me because a lot of the times of those issues kind of just float around in your own head yep. and you don't recognize the impact that that's having on your overall output and productivity. For me, I saw arguably probably a 20% drop in my overall output and quality of work. Mm. And that over particularly as the CMO of the company, yeah. that creates some very serious problems down the chain where people are saying, I can't get information from Liam. Sure. You know, I need to do this meeting with Liam and Liam isn't actually alert and doesn't really know what the hell he's supposed to be talking about in this particular meeting. He's not prepared yeah. properly. So definitely important to be able to share that stuff. And I love that you're doing it too. Yeah. So I'll ask one more question on no cognitive sure. time. You've spoken about a couple of times, the idea of documenting processes, ideas, putting as much down in documentation. When we're in a remote environment now, or let's go back. When you're in an office environment, it seemingly was theoretically easy to do because you're, if you're, we're having a lunch together or we're having a coffee together and we came up with an idea, Hey, we should try this or do this or think about that. Had discussion. Did we go back to that's because it was just right words in the ether, right? And there's nothing, there's nothing tangible to it. So you put, you created a document. Okay. Maybe you shared it. Great. Now, when you're in kind of the virtual conversations where let's say you're going back and forth in Slack or in video or some kind of format, we'll just maybe call it Slack to start with. At what point do you take a step back from the conversation in Slack and say, okay, let's create a document around this. Cause we, we may be collaborating and this idea that it's, it's, it's in there, it's in Slack, it's searchable. In theory, you can reference it back in Slack if you needed to maybe like at what point you say, okay, a document is needed. And yeah. like this, this raises like a, I want to call it a challenge, but the right word is that my, my team has been collaborating about and, and thinking about where is as my async meetings, I'll do a Google slide presentation about whatever topic I'm talking about. I'll use cloud app to create a video, me walking through the document and kind of adding context and so on and so forth. Both <laughs> of those items go into Slack into a thread. And there's been questions around, okay, when we have, when we have feedback based on 
where do we put it, right? Do we put it right. in the video, in the cloud video, in the comment section? Do we add it to the document? Do we put it in Slack? You know, how do you, especially with different tools that are totally maybe disjoined, is there like a best practice? How do you make sure that you go from idea to documentation, to conversation, collaboration, to decision-making all again, so it's easily clear when you have to reference it back. Oh, okay. Here was the idea. Here was the conversation in the video or what format here was the conversation points. Here was the decision. Maybe share some thoughts around that. Sure. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a couple different kind of questions that you asked there. The first one is when do you actually turn a process? Correct. Like when do you actually build a process document? Yeah. And I generally have, uh, a rule, which is three times. So the first time that I do something, I do it for myself. The second time that I do something, I think to myself, maybe we should turn this into a process document, i.e. changing the DNS records. I literally built a process document yesterday on that particular issue because there hadn't been one built. Yep. So changing DNS records, which is basically like a, a way to be able to point towards websites. Yep. So the second time that I did it, I thought, okay, maybe we should actually process this out. <laughs> and then last week, I had to change DNS records again and I thought, okay, no, I'll build this into a process. I literally just turned on Loom, yep. recorded the session, said, Hey, this is how I'm doing it. Built out some process documents. I, I keep it under one page. So for me, the text version of that process should be under one page because if it turns into two pages that actually not many people really consume it to be completely honest with you. And I also attach a video to every single process document that I'm doing, knowing that they may watch the video for a more clear view of how to actually do the thing that I'm telling them to do. But more importantly, that's something that maybe people will just consume the first time. And then the second time they do the process, they, they don't necessarily need it. So you have that. And then we have an internal wiki that we use, which is a little bit more of a time commitment. If you're doing something like Google Docs, that's probably a very easy place to start. There's another great tool on the market called Trainual, which will also provide you even quiz like processes inside. It's a paid account. I think it costs like $2 per user per month or something like that, but that's quite useful. And the, the big part is actually, the reason why we went with a wiki, an internal wiki is the debates. So you can have discussions. So if you go to like Wikipedia right now, you'll have the actual Wikipedia entry. And then if you can go to the tab that is the discussion about this particular entry and you have multiple stakeholders that come in and discuss like, no, Trump is six foot three, not six foot two yeah. as an example. Yeah. And you can debate those and people vote on them. Yep. And then you have this somewhat organic system where if you want to change a process, you can do it very quickly and easily. You do need to be able to, and, and we've, we're having debates about this right now, which is a process document actually having a expiry date. Mm. So <clears throat> the process, like, let's say the process exists for two years. And yep. if it has not been edited at all in those two years, it needs to come up for audit and review, meaning sure. you need to actually like, what is this process? Are we using yep. it? Number one, if we're not using it, like get rid of it, right? Yep. Like just archive it somewhere. Or is it really important that maybe we, it's super important, but we only use it every three years. Those are certain examples in which we sure. keep it, but trying to keep those process documents as usable as humanly possible is really yep. critical. Once you actually get into the nuts and bolts of this, because 
long term, the actual usability of this document is absolutely critical towards your success as an asynchronous organization. There are companies now, asynchronous organizations that talk a lot about responding with a link. And this also builds into the culture of that organization. Meaning I ask a question to, I'm a new employee. I ask a question to Scott, Scott responds with a link, which is really training me to say, I shouldn't have actually asked this question in the first place. <laughs> I should have gone into the wiki and spent the three minutes Googling it to be able mm. to figure out the answer to that problem. Yeah. And then maybe there's something more in depth that I need to discuss. So instead of talking to Scott, who might have built that process, I'll go into the debate section of that particular yeah. entry and discuss that. But mm. just responding with a link is really critical. And mm. it's it's almost the entire... When I look at adoption, people that have successfully adopted process documentation inside of their organizations from an asynchronous perspective and those that have tried and failed, it's really responding with a link and then also making sure that people at the top of the organization do this, not just the people at the top. Sure. That's awesome. For any last questions? Yeah, you have one to share, topics, things you want to throw out? Well, you know, I think that we're... I'm really interested to see whether or not, and again, this is my own bias because I've been studying this subject for the last, well, for a couple of years, but really yeah. intently for the book for the past year and a half, is my belief is that within the next 10 years, we'll be talking more about asynchronous work than necessarily remote work. Sure, and I think right sure. now that sounds like a very weird way to, to approach yeah, the absolutely. problem, but I'd love to be able to get your perspectives on it, uh, which is, are we going to be like, is it about asynchronous work or is it about remote work? Where do you see the market going over the next couple of years? Yeah, absolutely async because async for me is the heart of, of many things that are coming in the future. I love these days outside of how we started a conversation with how the recession may impact remote work is no longer a, a benefit that you can offer somebody to entice them to, to come join your company, that, that ship yeah. has sailed. So now companies mm-hmm. are think, rethinking, okay, what are the new things that we can offer them, benefits, this, that, and the other. And it seems to me in the last year, the big kind of winner so far has been the four-day work week. The four-day work week, I think, is a first step. I think it's a great idea. Ultimately, I think we're going to get to how kind of remote work started. I remember back 10 and a half years ago, it, it envisioned when you had a job description, you couldn't have like added bonus remote work experience, right? Because back then it didn't, nobody had it, you know, outside of automatic and I you know maybe one or two other companies that didn't exist. The most successful people were freelancers, people who are used to prioritizing the time, getting stuff done, nobody looking over the shoulder. And I see kind of coming back, back to that point where really in the future, no more, not even like the days I think where Salesforce is trying to go, like there's no more work schedule, right? I need you, Liam, to do this specific task by that specific time. What you would do between here and there, I could care less. I just need this at that time. And whether that leads to people working for multiple, multiple companies and multiple jobs, I had a couple episodes on this specific topic. I, I believe that's where the future is going. But even mm. if we kind of take a step back for four day work week, and this is something that I've been speaking about eternally and with other teams, it's a great idea. But if you're not running async by default, four day work week is never going to work because if you're sitting in meetings, synchronous meetings, half the time, three to two days out a week, you don't have time to get it done. So I think so much of the future of where we're going requires 
asynchronous to be in place and to be working well. Uh, for me, I think that's definitely the future. Again, remote, that's going to move on. The company's already doing remote. People are doing hybrid are going to go through multiple iterations of hybrid, landing on one end version where it's like a benefit and it's people can use it how they want it, but companies will have to work in a remote first operating system and how they operate, which will obviously be async at heart. So for me, I think async is at heart of where the future of work is going to be. Certainly in the next, I'll call it even five years, I believe I probably even mm. think a little bit less. And there'll be a lot of those things that come beyond it that are again, require async to be in, in place first. So again, four day work week, no schedules, what we move from beyond that. I think again, async has to be implemented first. So I think by far that's certainly where the future is. So I have another kind of follow-up to that, which is in the book, I talk a lot about how I think that asynchronous work is going to produce the rise of the introverted leader and the leader that's not the, uh, I reference GitLab versus Sid and Dimitri from GitLab versus yeah. Adam Newman from WeWork. Yeah. And that charismatic leader that if you've actually, if you watch Adam Newman give a talk, he's so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like he is the definition of a matchstick man, right? Like he's, a, he's, he's hustling people left, right, and yeah. center. Yeah. And he was able to build this massive, massive company on vaporware. Yeah. Really. And, and, and I, I picked on him particularly because I thought that was the very definition of charismatic extroverted leader that can produce these amazing returns inside of an organization versus yeah. the, and I don't necessarily, I put myself in this camp as well, yeah. the introverted person, the wallflower that can't really have very good synchronous debates or discussions yeah. because I just don't have that skill set mm. as an individual in comparison to people that are really good at at synchronous discussions. Yeah. I'm much better at actually like sitting down, thinking about something sure. for 10 minutes after yeah. it's, you know, after I've read it and then yeah. responding. Right. Sure. And I think that long-term what this creates as a feedback loop is more people to provide better ideas inside of the organization, meaning yeah. the ideas are adopted, not because they're the best ideas, but because the most charismatic leader, the charismatic individual was the one that proposed them, yeah. which is like counterintuitive to your long-term sure. success. But there are still a lot of Adam Newmans that are out there. I'm sure you've met a lot of those, Scott, in sure, the tech sure, world. Sure. Like we meet a lot of those people yeah. that are just like, wow, that, how the hell did that guy raise 150 million, $200 million? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's cause he, he can, he's got the gift of gab. He can communicate effectively. Yeah in that way. And $200 million can absolutely, at least I think, make up for the, the competitor that's raised $20 million because he's just not effective enough to be able to communicate that way to yeah. other people. So I'm thinking almost specifically inside of the tech world, but how do you overcome that? Or more specifically, do we overcome that? Or are we going to see more synchronous organizations that because those founders and leaders are really, really good at 
synchronous, charismatic communication, they're recognizing yeah. this is their strong suit and they don't want to necessarily do that. Another perfect example, which is actually much less kind of problematic than the Adam Newman example is Netflix, right? Yeah. Netflix has very publicly stated, we're going back to the office. Collaboration can only happen in the office. Yeah. And that's one of the most successful companies over the last two decades in terms of stock price returns sure. for their shareholders. And they, they say that they've built their entire business off of synchronous yeah. collaboration as opposed to asynchronous collaboration. Sure. So my, it, like, I'm thinking to myself, are we living in this kind of nerd ecosystem, <laughs> right? <laughs> like this introverted nerd ecosystem of like, oh, you know what? I just don't want to necessarily talk to people. I just want to build a product and or a service. And, and that's the core of what I really want to do. Yeah. Or... And that is a model that will succeed yeah. or are we just fooling ourselves? Basically, that's kind of the hard question that I ask myself quite a bit, which is, are we just fooling ourselves with this stuff or is there more to it than, yeah. than um, we necessarily see right now? Interesting. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll have you back for another podcast. We'll, we'll dig yeah. specifically into this topic here. Yeah, um, you can have me back every week. This is a very interesting. I, mean, I, love, I love talking about like what the heck is going to be happening next because obviously yeah. nobody knows exactly. what's going to be happening next. And if you had told me that in you know June, July of 2022, we'd be sitting at 35 percent of the U.S. workforce working remotely, yeah. and the position that we're currently in, I mean. Back a couple of years ago, I would have thought you'd been crazy. Yeah, it's very amazing. exciting to be able to see where we're at, and uh, the book for me is definitely one of those things that I'm trying to get the head around this methodology to hopefully move ourselves forward. Yeah. To say it's not about remote work; it's about how you manage people. That's yeah. the difference, whether they're Absolutely. in an office or not. And I think that that's the piece that everyone didn't figure out during the pandemic, unfortunately. Absolutely. So I'm hopeful that this book moves, moves the it. puck forward a little bit further. Awesome. So people listening who want to learn more about you, about the book, the uh, running remote, what's the best way to find you, get a hold of you, get a hold sure. of the book, all the good stuff. Yeah. So runningremote.com slash book. That's where I have all of those documents, how to do my job times yep. 40 people. Just go check out the book there. If you want to buy a copy, go to Amazon, go anywhere else. And if you're interested in buying books for your organization, just contact us through runningremote.com slash book, and we'll be able to set you up. Awesome. And then more importantly than that, if, if you can't afford the book or to go to the conference, which I understand are both costs that sure. everyone has to incur, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash runningremote. And we put all of our talks up there for free. So if you want to get a masterclass on remote work, it's all available there. Amazing. I'll put all the, uh, the links uh, in the show notes. And Liam, thank you so much for all the wisdom, especially on how to get asynchronous off the ground and uh, appreciate uh, the conversation. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Until everyone, uh, until the next episode, have a great day. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning into today's episode of Leading from Afar. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can learn more on our website, leadingfromafar.com, and subscribe to the podcast in your favorite app. This podcast is all about you, the remote leaders. We'd love to hear from you with your feedback or ideas for future topics and remote leaders we should be speaking with. Mm -hmm.